podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. And it feels like it's a momentous win, but we're coming to you after a great draw in Stamford Bridge against Chelsea in a game whereby we had to really, really pull up our sleeves, change tactics, change tact halfway through the game. And and we had, you know, we, we've done something that this team has never, ha hasn't done this year before, and we've rescued points after conceding first and uh, today i'm joined by paddy as always paddy how do you feel about that game yesterday yeah i'm i'm happy with the result as you said it, it's a it's lovely to think that we haven't dropped points haven't gone behind which has been our uh downfall um that we've struggled to get back into games when we've gone behind not that there's been too many of them but mm. we have struggled so um it's another monkey off our back um Good, good results, good performance all around. I don't think there's any reason to be upset or annoyed or pissed off at anything. So, yeah, long may it continue. And hopefully we'll be looking at the same thing on Friday. I'll be very, very happy. Um, I thought I thought the lads played very well. Um, you know, strange kind of game. I thought it was very, very compact in the middle. I actually Googled the um, the pitch size in Stamford Bridge because it just looked really, really narrow. Mm. But as it turns out, it's only one yard narrower than Villa Park. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it just, it was irking me through the match. I was going, why does there seem to be no space here? Why are we not being able to create anything? So that, that was just something that was in my head that I wanted to check because that's the way it looked. It genuinely looked like the pitch was smaller than it usually is. Obviously not because... There's not much room around the edge of the pitch there anyway, because it's all built up. But uh, yeah, I can't like I honestly can't complain. Um, obviously, they you know their stats would be a lot he heavier on the possession and shots and stuff like that, but not a whole pile, not a whole pile in the difference. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot to be uh, happy about in there. Yeah, it's actually now that you mention it, that was a huge part, and I think I think the fact that we grew into the game more, adapted to that compact midfield a small bit more in the second half was a massive reason for 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 why we were able to pull something out of this. And to be honest with you, we finished the game pretty strongly. We had mm -hmm. way more chances in the second half. It's like as if we, it's like, <laughs> it's like, for anybody here who doesn't live in the country, you're not going to get this reference. It was like when a child first gets a bang off an electric fence. <laughs> when you put your hand out and you grab an electric fence, the shock is awful. But over time, you get used to grabbing an electric fence. And I think that's the way, that's how I would describe that first half. Uh, there was lots of attacks down the left-hand side and we got used to it. The first first one or two, were, there, was, there was a bit of panic there. Uh, for Giroud's goal, people weren't tracking. We weren't used to the pace of how they got it out there to Chilwell. And we realistically, like 
we we probably underestimated the weapon that Chilwell has as a left foot. Mm-hmm. But as I said, over time, when you grab the electric fence, you know what's you know it's not going to kill you. You know you get a bit braver and you get more used to it or whatever. And 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 you can do that. You can you know you can maybe get a bit get get uh, exert your pressure on, on on a team a small bit more. And I think we did do that uh, as the game went on. But you mentioned that the that the it was very very compact in the middle of the field, and that's that we we definitely coped a bit more a lot better with that actually as the game went on like I can't remember Jorginho touching the ball I I, I don't think he touched it of merit at, at, at I'd say throughout yeah. the whole game which was a disaster because I had him back to get booked and uh, I thought it was easy money and then all of a sudden there was like 14 men in the middle of the field for most of the game and uh, and of course he hid behind everybody and he didn't get a touch of the ball um, but uh you know, when you look at the at the heat maps and the chalkboard of the of, of where the actual teams were and how they lined up, it's uh it is pretty uh, dominated to the right hand side uh, to allow Chilwell and Pulisic opportunities yeah. to run into that uh, to that um, I suppose that corridor on the left. Look, I'm going to say it again: the the adaptation from this team is fantastic. Southampton did that. And they got joy from it. Leeds did it, and they got a ton of joy from it. They left Jack Harrison basically sit outside on Bielsa's bucket, and basically they just passed the ball out to him when he was out there. Um, Brighton did it. They they did it the opposite way. They did it to the right hand side. Um, sorry, they didn't. They did it to the right hand side. They they pressed everybody over the right hand side and then switched it super quickly over to the left hand side. But this team has adapted. We got we got onto it in the second half, and and. We did better and we notified the the, the a couple of tweaks that. in the second half. I felt um, McGinn played probably about 10 or 15 yards further on mm-hmm. um, from the start of the second half. Um, I thought Traore defended a whole lot better. Um, like I, I know I said to you at halftime, I could hear Matty Cash on his case every time they broke because yeah. he was way behind. And, and if you look back at the goal, he's completely ball watching as Pulisic and uh, Chilwell link up for the, for the cross. Um, you know, I think we probably we might have got away with that against lesser teams, you know, that we've played in the last few weeks. But Chelsea will destroy you. They've got so they've got so much there. You know, they they how many do they make six changes, mm-hmm. six changes, and still still be able to relatively boss a game. You know, having said relatively boss a game, I, I do believe we were full fully uh, worthy of our draw. Um, I don't think anyone could complain unless you're Frank Lampard who just can't uh, bring himself to smile about anything these days, I'd say. <laughs> McGinn telling him to go F off was hilarious. I loved it. Oh, that was the highlight I of the day. I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I, I, don't, I don't dislike Fra- Frank Lampard, but um, yeah, like it, it, his, his ascent to the throne uh, of Chelsea is, uh, you know, even, even when you've got every, everybody is kind of questioning it and wondering if it can work. Uh, I don't mind. Look, if, if if it works out for him, fantastic. Not wishing any 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 ill on him or anything like that. But um, you know, he does get out coached. You know, and and, and yeah. it's not that's not a and like it's it's not having a crack off him. It's just bare facts. You know that he does get out coached, and and that would be a worry for me as a, as as a Chelsea fan. He's got see his bench. He has two hundred and fifty million, half a billion on the bench yesterday. Half a qu- sorry, quarter of a billion. On the bench yesterday, yeah. quarter of a billion on the bench yesterday. You know our team had our team hasn't cost even a half of that. You put into perspective what we bought was on the pitch, whereas yeah. there yeah. two two top signings of the summer were sitting on the bench. Mm. That'd be correct. Yeah, absolutely. Havertz and Werner. 
and they came on with what? What did they come on? They must have came on with, I'd say, 20 minutes to go, maybe. And both of them, between the two of them, they only had 30, 30 touches of the ball in 20 minutes. You know, they're supposed to be creative. Timo Werner only had eight. Mm-hmm. 28 touches of the ball in 20 minutes. And for all their possession, you'd think they'd at least they'd, they'd at least get involved in it. Kai Averts at twenty two, all right. I'd say the majority of those were shown for shown for throws because every time there was a throw, he he was the guy he who was showed there. for it. Well, he was he, yeah, he was brought on as something different for Jorginho, really, yeah. who we replaced. So, um, he was trying to push us back into our box as such because we were uh, at that stage we looked like we we could have gone on to nick it, mm-hmm. um. You know, they're, they're such a wealth there, you know, like our, probably our biggest signing was a loan signing from them in the summer, you know. So mm. it's, um, you know, it's, it's it's great to be able to mix it with the big boys and, and be proud of how they're playing. And even with a draw, it, 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 there's still that little bit in you that went, yeah, we probably, you know, could have nicked the win there. And, you know, a draw is not the end of the world, obviously, in the position that we're in. And... You know, I really wasn't expecting to pick up any points out of these two. I think I, I felt everything we picked up at these two games was a bonus. Mm-hmm. So we're already one point ahead of where I thought it would be. Albeit, snap your fucking hand off for three points on, on yeah. Friday night because um, I'd love it. It's mainly, you know, it's mainly because I just have no grow whatsoever for Man United or their fans and their God given right to win every game. And, um, that's the, you know to me that's the biggest one of Christmas. But to get to get a point there where, like we did deserve it, there's no question we deserved it. But uh, it's just you get a point against one of the big boys, and I think you text me after the game. We, we haven't lost any points to any of the big boys this season. Nope. Paddy. Perceived perceived big boys. Yeah, the tradition tradition sky six. I yeah. suppose what we call them. Well, I put Leicester in there as well because uh, I suppose they've won. Like they look, they've won the they've won the league, uh, and yep. they probably deserve to win ahead of some other teams. But because of recency bias, but yeah, we, we and we still haven't even even adding Leicester in there. Paddy, I've got a question for you. Taking out Emilio Martinez, who was the oldest player Aston Villa player on the field last night? Oldest player on the field. Ooh. Jeepers. John McGinn? John McGinn, correct, at 26 years of age. That's frightening. 26 years of age, yeah. the oldest outfield player. Like looking at our back four, the average age of our back four is 24 years of age. Average age of our midfield, like I forget, Douglas Louise is like 22. My God. Like he's he's an old head on young shoulders yeah. for that age. Um, average, average age of our midfield is 24 as well. And then that's including Gazi and Bertrand Traore, both of them 25. And then we've Ollie Watkins 24. With John McGinn, the reason I wanted to say that was the old man with his Zimmer frame in the middle of the field at 26 years of age. Man, he got around everywhere. He was just a joy to behold last night. And he was buzzing around like a blue arse fly, as my grandmother would say. Uh, and and, and he, he got on everything. And he, he was just he was just magnificent, really was. Yeah. Um, not going to argue with him there. Uh, argue with you there, I should say. I thought his interview after the match was exceptional. Um, yes. The, the way he spoke about, you know, how pe- he's very, very fortunate to do a job that he loves, and you know, a lot of people aren't able to go about their daily routine. So he, he basically said that if, if he could play football every day, he would. <laughs> you know, he loves it that much. Um, 
and you know there was no complaints with having to play two matches in in 48 hours and to be fair nobody has really complained Klopp hasn't said too much Frank Lampard didn't say too much he he, he did a bit at the start where he was going oh I have to change six but you don't have to change six players your team you play your bloody best team and that should be the way it is you know <laughs> once yeah. they're fit you start resting players when when they need a rest, or, you know, not 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 because you got two games in forty eight hours. Just get on with it, like everybody. Well, else. we're saying this now. <laughs> I'm hoping that our team doesn't get leggy, but I know where you're coming from with regards to that. You don't have to rest six players. You're doing it to make no. a point, maybe, or to to utilize. Or look. There's there's numerous reasons that he he would have had to do it to justify the spending that he made that he had. Also, he would have probably had to do it because. No one expected them to get overrun by Arsenal. And they did get overrun, even though they had a penalty saved later on. They mm. did get overrun by Arsenal for a majority of that game. And then, you know, this is where I get to with Frank Lampard saying, I, I had to I had to take six players off. I had to replace six players. And I don't think he did. He was outcoached by Arteta. And in the second half, he was outcoached by Dean Smith as well. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that that's the worry for, for, for Chelsea fans at the moment. Um, I mentioned, uh, uh, I mentioned, uh, and I've had a view last night that, it was. It showed to me the adaptability that Dean Smith, Craig Shakespeare, and the, the John Terry had. And and I've only watched the game, watched the first half twice, but still, I'm still of the opinion that they went out to have Douglas Louise to be pretty static in the middle of midfield, to just hang out at the edge of the box to stop Mason Mount and stop people getting on the edge of that, get that ball running directly straight at the the. The defense. I think we were okay at giving them space down the down the right and the left. Not the space that we did give them. Obviously, for Chilwell's goal, that's that was borderline criminal. It, it was just too. It was too much space from both yeah. Cash and from Traore. Um, but I think that initially, uh, Douglas Louise was, was told basically, you know, marshal that area. You're really good at it. You've done it brilliantly over the last over the last nine months. And I just want you to do that. And John McGinn was allowed to pivot around him go left, go right, and, and basically uh, try and look to see where the runners are and try and intercept the runners more so than the ball when he was getting in there. And and that's fine, but when we went too narrow at the other side, it caused massive issues, just like it did against Leeds. But the adaptation that happened here, and this is why I say that Dean Smith uh, or whoever may call the shot, uh, it could be Neil Cutler because he seems to spend his whole game talking to Neil Cutler, which is great, I think, because I'd love to have a bouncer friend like that. He's like, uh, you know... He, he, seems to, he seems to appear at Dean's side every time we get a set piece as well yes yeah like as if he's talking him through it or whatever you know what what the plan was or whatever which really is great like yeah because yeah. you know i had the conversation last night because my wife was going who's he why does he keep appearing and i said does the gold team coach yeah he's he beautiful petty he's what? beautiful he's beautiful as well i think he won't be the only wife that, uh, <laughs> she won't be the only wife that's asked who's he a big strapping strong man yeah. <laughs> but then you say it's the goalkeeping coach what's he doing there you know yeah. it's yeah. mad like it is, and that, look, that's that's a guy made a comment to me on Twitter this morning. He said because I was I was talking with John McGinn's um, post match that you were saying. I said, isn't it like we must have one of the most fun loving players? He's a real gem. I just left it at that, and then a guy commented underneath it, and it makes so much sense. The we must have the most normal manager. <laughs> must have the most normal manager and I don't mean that as a, as a disrespect to other managers, but he doesn't play media games. He doesn't play games with, with players. He just goes in there and he just he just does his job. He's probably the least uh, the least controversial manager I think that that, that there is. And, and I know look, Klopp isn't controversial or anything like that either. But you know, sometimes he just, 
well, I suppose defying controversial, really. I know yeah. some one or two times he's had a he's had a crack off people, but and that's fine. But I just don't think that Dean Smith is is that interested in that side of the game. And I think he wants to be known to be a coach. And I said this when we when we uh, at the start of the season. I think that's what he wants to be known as. Like you see managers like Big Sam. Big Sam isn't a coach. I don't think he wants to be regarded as a coach. He wants to be regarded as a manager. And at sixty six, that's absolutely fine. But I think that Dean Smith wants to be known as a coach. I think yeah. he gets it. And I think that's probably the fact that he's an ex-player as well, that he would feel like, he's, and he's a defender and he played lower leagues, he'd feel like he was probably phoning it in if he was just a manager as opposed to a coach. But the humility that he has, and this is what I'm getting back to here as well, when you were talking about Cuts being beside him and the fact he brought in Craig Shakespeare, the humility he has to go, I want to be a good coach, but I have the common sense to know that I don't, I can't do it all on my own and that somebody might be better than me but I'm not just going to say, stand there and go, no, I'm doing this my way or the highway kind of thing, yeah. to which we've had some managers in the past that have fallen victim to that. Martin O'Neill, uh, yeah. Remy Gard, you know, we've, we've had some people. And Martin O'Neill, for all the highs he gave us, he was a stubborn man. You know, we saw it with Ireland ourselves. Very stubborn, didn't yeah. want to change his ways. So long may it continue with that kind of cultural aspect, the fact we've got uh, happy-go-lucky people on the field and normal level-headed people on the sideline. The philosophy seems to have, you know, change completely. Yeah. Um, I remember doing a, one of the very first coaching course I ever did, sitting in a, a classroom, and they put up this sign: "No dickheads allowed here." Yeah. And they asked around the room, "Where where is this picture taken from?" And it was the Academy of the All Blacks. So basically, yeah. if you went in there and acted the bollocks, you were gone. Yeah. Regardless of how good you were. And to me, it kind of it has that feeling about the place, you know, having, you know, having spoke about seeing Neil Cutler in his ear, so is Shakespeare, so is Richard O'Kelly, so is John Terry. All throughout the game, they're working as a part of a team. And it's the same, you know, the players on the pitch. That, you know, I know we always talk about, oh, you'd love to have an asshole in there that runs around getting people wound up and whatever. But that's obviously not the clear philosophy. That's obviously not what he wants. And everybody seems to get on with everybody which is great like mm. and uh you know it just it just and even even um i can't it was must have been the post-match um interview with dean smith he spoke about the squad mm-hmm. and how to how professional the guys on the on the bench had been which is always good to hear because you do worry about um you know players like gilbert conor and bjorn engels you know, that are, I'm sure only itching to get on the pitch. Um, and he's obviously kept them happy. He's, ob- he's obviously, you know, <laughs> explained everything in the right way, which a manager doesn't always do. You know, like Martin O'Neill arriving in just before kickoff and going, same team, same subs. And that's it. I'm walking out, no instructions, no nothing, and leaving that mm. to the coaches. So it is, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't change anything about it. Um, you know, even in the past, and you say, bring that asshole in that'll annoy everybody. I don't want that anymore. I want it to stay the way it is. Mm. What, obviously, I'd like to get a couple of additions in and a couple out that are, are just seem to be hanging on in there. You know, for example, Lansbury, who's on a big wage, is not even in our Premier League squad. Um, the likes of these guys moved on and, you know, to get more of a Dean Smith type player in. Not a panic boy, not, a, not an Ali Samata or anything like that, just someone that he wants, someone that's going to come in and do the job that he wants. And uh, going back to Matty Cash giving out to Bertrand Traore, I thought it was justified early on. He just mm-hmm. seemed to be, you know, and I'm sure he really wanted to score yesterday. Of all days, he wanted to score yesterday. 
So, uh, you know, there's the, there is that end of it too, you know, that the players are talking to each other as well. There's leaders all over the pitch. And, uh, you know, long may it continue and long may the results keep coming because this is a lot easier than the Christmas we had last year after, wasn't it Watford we lost to? Yes, 3-0. Yeah, that was... Grim. That, that game is a knife in the heart. You're just like, oh yeah. my God, there's no hope here. And no, nobody that day would have thought we were going to stay up come the end of the season. No, absolutely not. And, and then you had Tritini was smiling down the Rubbing camera as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something there. It's after flying out of my head there about Matty Cash, Bertrand Trory. Jesus, can't remember it. Can't remember what I was going to say. I'm sure it was the best point of the <laughs> whole podcast, but I can't remember it. Um. Oh, yes, you mentioned about keeping squad players happy and he was talking about the squad. Yeah, yeah and I, f- I found that really interesting that, uh, you know, that he, that, like he brings on the two least experienced players from the bench and had the confidence to do it. And I think, like, Jacob Ramsey comes on, his first touch, he bends when scrapes paste, paint off the post. You know, what a shot. I was just trying to explain to a couple of mates of mine on WhatsApp. I said, Jacob Ramsey came on, and the lads were watching it, and they were saying, who the hell is this guy? You know, because Villa were actually were on top of on top of that stage. Yeah. And they were like, who the hell is this guy? He goes, lads, watch out. He's actually pretty good. There's big things thought of him. And next thing, all of a sudden, you could just see it scraping the post as it goes past. And everyone was like, Jesus Christ. You know, I was like, yeah, keep an eye on him. Um, but also you mentioned the Dean Smith player you're getting in a Dean Smith player and I I couldn't tell you what a Dean Smith player is because I think that he's able to manage multiple types of players and pointing cases and Royal Gazi five goals in five games came up mm-hmm. trumps again we've sat here we it's 10, ten weeks ago we would have said Anwar Gazi isn't a Dean Smith player but look at him now he's putting in the back of the net been, I think he's been renamed hasn't he Anwar Goldsey, Anwar Goldsey, but he's and long may that continue too. Absolutely, yeah. As I say, when the facts change, change your opinion and big yeah. style. I'm here, and you know we've got plates of humble pie in front of us after some of the things we 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 questioned last year. Now he's getting on the end of things at the back post, and he's putting them away. Um, mm-hmm. but Algazi is Algazi is exactly who Dean Smith was talking about. I think about the squad players because he knows, like Dean Smith's no fool. He knows Algazi has dug him out the last couple of games because, like Algazi wasn't getting a sniff of it. He wasn't even on the bench some days. And next thing he comes in, and Dean Smith's gone. My squad is really important now. And he's highlighting that. And I think that was a kind of a, a nod to the likes of Algazi, to the likes of Bertrand Troy, to the likes of um, maybe Jacob Ramsey, Courtney House, once again, perfect, yeah. it, it, you know, really good in defense again. Um, and he's going to, and like, he knows that there's going to be bookings, uh, maybe a booking to Matt, Matty Target, we're only one booking away from there, one booking away from, from Jack getting, getting uh, you know, getting yeah. a, 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 a game off, you know, so he's going to need to count on these guys. And, and look, once again, even though he says he doesn't make substitutions because players are exhausted because he doesn't expect these players to be exhausted, he knows that coming in into United, there's going to be leggy players there and he might have to, might have to spring in an uh, mm. uh, uh, Ahmed Mohamedi, or he might have to spring in Marvellous Nakamba, or he might have to bring in Connor in, in, in there to try, try and shore something up on the left-hand yeah. side because we want the treasure to get back in. It's just just soundness, I think. It's just just smartness, I suppose, to mention the the, the ethic of, of 1 to 25 in, in, in the squad. And, and, you know, as I say, that's really good to hear. Fantastic. Yeah, can't argue. Um, I was delighted to see Ramsey get a run. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's obviously been flying and you know I thought he like without setting the world on fire he he grew into the game that he did get the start in so um, 
Yeah, like I mean, there's there's some there's leaders all around the place there, and even on the bench, you know, Connor's a leader, Elmo's a leader, um, Tom Heaton, of course, <laughs> is another fella <laughs> who like, we would hope we'd we'd like to see uh, Tom Heaton come back in, maybe against Liverpool mm-hmm. in the FA Cup or, or whatever yeah. it is, um, you know, because I, I think they all deserve a chance. Um, and hopefully he does switch it up and give give a good decent break because it looks like that Newcastle game is going to take place now that Newcastle are out of the cup when they lost to Brentford. So that oh, yeah. weekend in between or week in between, I should say, the seventeenth is it that they've penciled that in for? I think that's going to go ahead that week. So um, we're going to have a lot of games in in January. So we're going to need these squad players, um, I would imagine. So yeah. Rather him than me, and I suppose we'll discuss it as we go into the the transfer window. So mm. the, the the option now is, do we uh, do we stick or twist with regards to the transfer market? Do we oh, strengthen from a point of strength? That's well, that's I think my that, yeah. my philosophy. No, no point in upsetting everybody either. You know, we're bringing in nineteen ninety nine. Was it nineteen ninety nine under John Gregory? Top of the league at Christmas. We didn't strengthen from a point of strength. We didn't strengthen yeah. sufficiently and uh, ended up there. Also, even go back further when we signed Cascarino. Was it Cascarino? It was Cascarino instead of Sheringham. We wanted, we, we brought in a striker instead of the striker. And exact same thing happened. The infamous, I suppose, one under Martin O'Neill now of bringing in Heskey instead of Radamel Falcao. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose if my auntie, if I do, if I knew what I know now, you know, all those different analogies. But uh, no, look, and, and that's been a bit bit unfair to Emil Heskey. He came in, he did a job, and uh, but look, as I say, if we know if we knew then what we know now, um everything would be different. So I'm big, big one. Go for it. Make, I'm not saying we buy four or five players. I'm saying we buy maybe two players, but make them the right players as opposed to bodies. And, and I think I, I, at the same time, I think we might get one squad player. Um, and I think we might get potentially one starter. I think we'll get someone in to, to rotate in around with, uh, with Douglas Louise, because I think they will be smart enough to be able to see that it's out of their hands with Douglas Louise and best get a player in now. That they can maybe give some minutes to get used to the get used to the transition. If yeah. God forbid anything happens to Douglas Louise and, and we do lose him because it is out of our control, unfortunately, I think that would be a smart move. And there was um, Matthias, uh, what's his name, the lad from Inter, the the Uruguayan guy. He was linked last week, and and that's what it look. He looks like a player that would be brought in to do that role. Yeah. A stopper player, forty one caps for Uruguay. Can't remember his surname. I think it's Vicino or something like that, but. Uh, I think that would be a smart move, but we're going to have tons of transfer chat podcasts because there's nothing I love more than looking <laughs> up at third division Colombian strikers or fourth division Fair Islands prodigies. There's nothing more I love than looking at that and wasting my time looking at players from far climbs that will never end up at Aston Villa. So we'll definitely have a load of podcasts about that. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll have some guests on as well about the transfer window, how the actual transfer merry-go-round happens and so on like that. We're efforting, I think the word is at the moment, to get uh, to get a, a few bits and pieces in over the coming month to do transfer window-specific pieces, should I say, um, which would be great, which would be great. Absolutely. Paddy, is there any point in doing a Lakers sportsman in a match? I'll leave that to you. John McGinn? Yeah. 
There we go. John McCain, Liquor Sports Weather Match. <laughs> I thought he was fantastic. And he um and he 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 absolutely rattled the crossbar with a thunderbolt from out of nowhere. And had that gone in, he would have been player of the month, I think. It was just it was such a good performance. <laughs> Well, it would have been goal of the season anyway, that's for sure. Oh, it was such sweetly struck. It just bent every which way in the air as well. It was beautiful yeah. to see. But he was he was he was brilliant. He 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 was so so good uh, last night. As I say, he he was asked to do two different roles. He he played a more traditional kind of deep lawyer in the second half, but in the first half he was kind of allowed, as I say, um basically he was told use your energy and get in around Douglas Louise and just make allow Douglas to hold but you have to be back and forth yeah. um, he can do it but he was he was much better in the second half you know when when, when they had that um, and as a lot of people have been saying he out canted Kante yesterday and and that's no mean feat um, let me tell you but John again, fantastic player back to his best keep wearing that turkey suit uh, it's got magical powers and I would yeah as I say he's definitely the Lakers sportsman in a match against Chelsea in Stamford Bridge. I think that's it, Paddy. I think so too. I think that's it. To talk about our uh, what feels like a derby for us because there's so many bloody Man United fans in our lives. Yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I would get more stick. If you if Villa lose to United, like this goes back to we were talking about Wolves and yeah, where we yeah. don't feel like it's a derby. I feel like United is a derby because every second person is a United fan in Ireland. So yeah, and that's why I'm going to beat them because it's uh it's been seldom um and, and it would be nice. It'd be great, great cap to 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 I suppose to the year so far. You know, finish up on twenty six points. Uh, I suppose to, to, I know it's on New Year's Day but to cap off uh, the first half of the season so to say moving into the second half of the season 26 mm-hmm. points is pretty good going we're averaging just under two points per game at the moment which is I'll take that <laughs> you know, I'll Absolutely. take that better be looking at him as looking for him that's what I always <laughs> say so it's, uh, it's, it's great to see but we will come back with a, a short enough uh, review our preview, sorry, of Manchester United. And uh, yeah, as I say, this is a big one for me and I think a big one for you, Paddy. And and, and hopefully uh, we uh, we rise to the occasion on, on, on Friday, first day uh, of the new year. And I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you, you can always get Paddy on at Villa Paddy, at Villa Paddy uh, on Twitter. You can get ourselves on uh, at Love McGrath Pod. Thanks, William. As I said, to everybody for listening. The numbers are, are just, it's, it, it's, uh, I'm just so humbled by it. It's fantastic. So thanks, everybody, everybody for a great December. Um, you know, any of the comments you get on Twitter and stuff like that are just fantastic. So keep them coming. Um, yeah. And as I say, we'll be back with the Manchester United preview over the coming days. And all that's left to say is up the villa. Up the villa. Podcast Network.